The scripture reading for today comes from the book of Judges, chapter 6, verses 14 through 35. The Lord turned to Gideon and said, Go in the strength of yours and deliver Israel from the Midianites. I herewith make you my messenger. He said to him, Please, my Lord, how can I deliver Israel? Why, my clan is the humblest in Manasseh, and I am the youngest in my father's household. The Lord replied, I will be with you, and you shall defeat Midian to a man. And he said to him, If I have gained your favor, give me a sign that it is you who are speaking to me. Do not leave this place until I come back to you and bring out my offering and place it before you. And he answered, I will stay until you return. So Gideon went in and prepared a kid and baked unleavened bread from an ephah of flour. He put the meat in a basket and poured the broth into a pot. And he brought them out to him. As he presented them, the angel of God said to him, Take the meat and the unleavened bread. Put them on yonder rock and spill out the broth. He did so. The angel of the Lord held out the staff that he carried and touched the meat and the unleavened bread with its tip. A fire sprang up from the rock and consumed the meat and the unleavened bread. And the angel of the Lord vanished from his sight. Then Gideon realized that it was an angel of the Lord, and Gideon said, Alas, O Lord God, for I have seen an angel of the Lord face to face. But the Lord said to him, All is well, have no fear, you shall not die. So Gideon built there an altar to the Lord and called it Adonai Shalom. To this day it stands in Ophrah of the Abarazites. That night the Lord said to him, Take the young bull belonging to your father and another bull seven years old. Pull down the altar of Baal, which belongs to your father, and cut down the sacred post, which is beside it. Then build an altar to the Lord your God on the level ground on top of the stronghold. Take the other bull and offer it as a burnt offering, using the wood of the sacred post that you have cut down. So Gideon took ten of his servants and did as the Lord had told him. But as he was afraid to do it by day, on account of his father's household and the townspeople, he did it by night. Early in the next morning, the townspeople found that the altar of Baal had been torn down and the sacred post beside it had been cut down, and that the second bull had been offered on the newly built altar. They said to one another, Who did this thing? Upon inquiry and investigation, they were told, Gideon, son of Joash, did this thing. The townspeople said to Joash, Bring out your son, for he must die. He has torn down the altar of Baal and cut down the sacred post beside it. But Joash said to all who had risen against him, Do you have to contend for Baal? Do you have to vindicate him? Whoever fights his battles shall be dead by morning. If he is a god, let him fight his own battles, since it is his altar that has been torn down. That day they named him Jerubbaal, meaning let Baal contend with him since he torn down his altar. All Midian, Amalek, and the Ketamites joined forces. They crossed over and encamped in the valley of Jezreel. The spirit of the Lord enveloped Gideon. He sounded the horn, and the Abzerites rallied behind him. And he sent messengers through Manasseh, and they too rallied behind him. Then he sent messengers through Asher, Zebulun, and Nephetali, and they came up to meet the, the Manassites. 
The word of the Lord. In the autumn of 1898, John H. Nicholas of Janesville, Wisconsin, came to the Central Hotel at Basco, Wisconsin for the night. The hotel being crowded, it was suggested that he share a bed in a room with Mr. Samuel E. Hill of Beloit, Wisconsin. The two men soon discovered that they were Christians. They had their evening devotions together. And on their knees before God, the thoughts were stirred in each of them, which later developed, as is often the case in these chance attractions in the 1890s, into an association for evangelism. On May 31, 1899, the two men met again at Beaver Dam, Wisconsin, where again sharing a room and evening devotions they concluded to bring together other men like themselves, Christian commercial travelers, for mutual recognition, personal evangelism, and united service to one another for the Lord. They decided to call another meeting in Janesville, Wisconsin, on July 1st, 1899, at the YMCA. An ephod was an article of clothing, an object used in worship by ancient Israelite culture, and was closely connected with oracular pardon, practices and priestly ritual. In the book of Samuel, David is described as wearing an ephod when dancing in the presence of the Ark of the Covenant, and one is described as standing in the sanctuary at Nob with a sword behind it in the book of Exodus, and in Leviticus, one is described as being created for the Jewish high priest to wear as part of his official vestments. Within the Bible, in the context where it's worn, the ephod is usually described as being linen, but did not constitute complete clothing of any kind. As the book of Samuel describes, David's wife was taunting him for indecently exposing himself by wearing one. Though the Bible translations, some Bible translations remove the word only before ephod so that David would not appear indecent, the book of First Chronicles states that David, as all the Levites bore the ark, David danced wearing only the ephod of linen. There appears to have been a strong religious and ceremonial implication to wearing the ephod as the 85 priests of Nob are specifically identified as being the type of people who wore an ephod. Though the Masoretic text here describes them as being linen ephods, the word linen is not present in the Septuagint version of the passage, nor is it present in the Septuagint at all. It describes David and Samuel girding themselves with an ephod. We shall be called Gideons. Only three men were present at the meeting at the Janesville, Wisconsin, YMCA. John H. Nicholas, Samuel E. Hill, and 
Will J. Knights. They organized with Hill as president, Knights as vice president, and Nicholas as secretary and treasurer. Much thought was given to the name of the association and what it should be, and after special prayer that God might lead them to select the proper name, Mr. Knights, from his knees, said, We shall be called Gideons. And he read the sixth and seventh chapter of Judges and showed the reasons for adopting that name, saying that we shall bring the Bible to other men like us. And as Gideon had a sword in one hand and a torch in the other, so is the word of God a sharp weapon and a bright light to men of our kind. The book of Genesis tells the story of the patriarchs and how God called them and made a covenant with them and promised them the promised land and how they, due to famine and drought, ended up as guests of Pharaoh in Egypt. The book of Exodus picks up the story 400 years later. The Pharaohs eventually forgot about the guest status of Israel's people and enslaved them. It also tells of how God heard their cry and called the great prophet Moses to deliver the people from Egypt, leading them into the wilderness where they all met God on God's mountains. They renew the covenant and the promise of the promised land, and God decides to travel with them to the promised land. After some time, some fits and starts, 40 years of them, they arrive at the outskirts of the promised land. The book of Joshua is a story of how Israel's people, with the assistance of God, eventually laid siege to all the people and tribes who actually lived in the promised land and took it over so that God could keep God's promise. Which brings us to the book of Judges. The book of Judges is the story of how once in the promised land, all the things they had to do to hold on to it. There's a certain pattern, a cycle sort of an infidelity cycle. It sort of goes like this. They get in the land. They start to, their eye starts to wander, no longer completely taken by the God of Israel or with whom they'd made a covenant. They began to see the other people who they were supposed to eradicate anyway and their gods and find them somewhat attractive. They, as a result of their infidelity, God gives them over to these other peoples who um, begin to wage war and um, prevail over them. And uh, then God raises up a judge, one person who calls everyone to repentance. They all repent, which brings them all together to fight mightily and repel or pillage or annihilate whatever group it was that was punishing them. And then there is peace. The cycle's repeated. It's the cheat, get beat, rise up a judge, repent, repel, and peace cycle. It's repeated 14 times in the book of Judges, seven major times and um, seven minor times. I think the distinction between major and minor isn't how bad they got beat, or how much they repelled them, just which stories the writers choose to spend more time on. These judges aren't actually like judges. They're more like uh, maybe sort of religio-political leaders, military leaders, kind of quasi-religious leaders. 
Um, but not like judges that adjudicate laws or whatnot. You know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of um, judges, famous names from the Bible that you probably know but didn't even know they were judges. Just famous Bible names. Um, Samuel, for instance. Everybody knows Sam. Sammy, first judge. He was the first judge. Deborah, did you know she was a judge? First woman judge way before Ruth Bader Ginsburg, a lot earlier. Um, yep. And uh, Samson, you know that? Samson, Delilah, all that, uh, the hair and everything like that. He was a judge. Yep. So there are a lot of judges you just don't. Famous stories. And then, of course, Gideon. Everybody knows Gideon. Everybody's not sure why. Nobody knows why they know the name Gideon, but you just do. Well, he was a judge. He was the judge we're looking at tonight. Yeah. It was an ephod the like that had never been known. It was not made of linen, as most were described, but was struck from gold and encrusted with fine stones. And there was upon the front the breastplate of judgment, which had affixed to it a pocket in gold, which held the ivory dice, which could be used to decide the fate of one who had come before it, or its wearer. It was said that in the burnished gold one could see a reflection of their sin, or they could see fire in place of their own reflection. Gideon was the youngest son of his father, and his family being the least family in the tribe of Manasseh. God comes to him one night and says that he wants him to go and defeat the Midianites. Now, the Midianites, along with some other uh, tribes, had been a problem. They had, you see, um, you're not going to believe this, but Israel had been unfaithful to God. And uh, they had been, uh, God had given them over to the Midianites. And the Midianites were not just like going in there and wiping them out or taking them out. They were messing with them. They would wait till harvest time. And then come in and harvest all their crops. And then leave. Leave them with nothing to eat. And just generally harass them. So one night, um, Gideon was actually thrashing some wheat inside of a barrel. Because he didn't want any of the Midianites to know that he still had wheat to thrash. And this is where God came upon him. And God said, I want you to... Um, I want you to... Tear down the idol to Baal, and I want you to go and defeat the Midianites and all these people. And Gideon was like, what? Me? And God said, uh, yes, I want you to do this. And there was some testing. Maybe you know, heard about the fleece, Gideon putting out a fleece thing. That might, that might be where you know him. I'm not going to stop on that part of the story too long. Um, so Gideon decides, okay, I'm going to do this. So he goes at night. God tells him to do this. He um, takes a bowl for sacrifices to God, then takes another bowl, his dad's bowl. And then I guess his dad had this huge uh, altar to uh, Baal, tears that down, and then next to it has a big 
I don't know what the meaning of it was, but I guess they described it as a big giant pole next to the altar, which he took that down as well. Um, and so the next day, everybody wakes up and they're like, hey, what happened to the altar to Baal and to our big giant pole that was next to it? Um, and they said, uh, you know, Gideon tore it down. And they all were going to kill him. And he said, no, Baal, let Baal, Baal's really a god, then Baal can come and get me. Um, but I'm going to go and I'm going to fight the Midianites and you should come with me. And he sends runners out and they go and there's a long story and they fight and everything like that. And guess what? All the people, they repent, they come together, they kill some people, and they just feel good about themselves. They feel good about their God again. They feel so happy that they actually say, you know what, Gideon, you should be our king. And then your sons could be our king, like this whole forever. You just, everyone in your family be our king. And Gideon's like, do you not understand how this cycle works? Like, no, no, I'm not going to be your king. God is your king. You've repented. This is great. Now we're going to have peace. And they all went, okay. And then he said something weird. He does something weird here. He's like, well, but okay, one thing you could do. I've got this blanket. Everybody take all their jewelry. Let's just everybody get your jewelry and let's put it on this blanket and we're going to melt it down. Now, I don't know if this rings any bells to any of you here. But so maybe they should stay away from the collecting of gold and melting it down. But no, he does that. Gideon does it after refusing to be their king. He melts it down and he makes an ephod. Now, I don't know if you know what this is, but it's an uh, article of clothing. Um, and this one, though, usually they're made out of linen. He made this one out of gold. And it was more than that. It was something that was used to be judged. It came to be, as a matter of fact, he placed it in an altar in the center of his town. And people came and worshipped it. And sometimes he would put it on. And they would worship him. What happened? Crazy. Effective witness in hotels. In view of the fact that almost all of the Gideons in the early years of the association were traveling men, the question quite naturally arose regarding how they might be more effective witnesses in the hotels where they spent much of their time. One trustee went so far as to suggest that the Gideons furnish a Bible for each bedroom of the hotels in the United States. He commented, In my opinion, this would not only stimulate the activities of the rank and file of membership, but would be a gracious act wholly in keeping with the defined mission of the Gideon Association. This plan, which they called cleverly the Bible Project, was adopted at Louisville, Kentucky in 1908. This cycle seems a little bit psycho. Like, God, they, well, first they have a wandering eye. They go off, 
and they worship some other god. God gets really mad and starts letting people kill them. And then, I don't know, because they're getting wiped out or whatever, or God feels bad, God calls out to one and raises up somebody who's going to bring all the people together, basically around killing other people, um, fighting them. And then once they do that, they all come together and they repent, and then God gives them peace for a while. It's kind of a crazy cycle. It's this cycle of, I don't know, it's dysfunctional. If you knew of a relationship that continued on like that, maybe you suggested people look at it. What is kind of beautiful about this crazy 14 cycle thing in the book of Judges, that it's not like this cheater nation comes back to God first and says, we're super sorry. I mean, we didn't know. I don't know. You should have seen Baal, man. It was late. No, we're sorry. We won't do it again. That's not what happens in this cycle. It's always the one who got cheated on, who is always trying to find some way back, always trying to find someone the people will listen to, saying, look, baby, I want you back. No matter what you did, I want you back. There's repentance, there's coming together, and then there's relative peace. And then it happens again, but it's always the one who loves them, who has been wronged, who comes back to them. It's a beautiful story. It is unfortunate that it has to be couched in the language of violence and scapegoating. But if we can see past that, it seems sort of like this kind of profound and messy thing that it is this God who above all things has this desire for this relationship with God's people. Which is kind of crazy when you see like this Gideon who got it in the end chooses some sort of power that he gets off this connection with the divine. He cannot sustain this relationship with the divine. But he quickly, even though he knows better to say, no, I'm not your king, would rather have people, I don't know, that he would rather interact with the people than be in relationship with the divine. I think it's kind of amazing that these guys, these guys from Wisconsin, these businessmen, they ran into each other and they come up with this crazy plan to give Bibles like to everybody in the United States. They think they named themselves Gideons because Gideon had a sword in one hand and this torch in the other. That The Bible is so powerful. This is the thing that brought them together into this great relationship that is like this sharp weapon and this light. And they decide what we're going to do is we're going to take this and take it to every single place and put it in a drawer. What happens? What happens? God keeps coming back. I know that happens. 